Hello friends, welcome to Running and Fitness with Raj. This show will bring you exciting and interesting guests and give you specific and actionable advice on your running, fitness and general health. Before getting into the episode today, I wanted to share with you the exciting news that the podcast now has a website runfitraj.com. That's r u n f i t r a j.com. Please check out the website. Uh, it has all the podcast. It has all the show notes. There is a very useful search function we can, uh, where you can search the various episodes and the show notes. And do send me any feedback or questions uh, that you have. That's runfitraj.com. Our guest today is the peerless uh, Gene Dykes, uh, who is only the second person ever to run a sub-three-hour marathon after the age of 70. Gene is a prolific runner and runs marathons and ultra-marathons through the year, including multiple 100-mile runs and 200-mile runs. And to think that Gene did not even run his first marathon till the age of 58. So we are really privileged to have Gene join us today and eagerly look forward to hearing from him. So welcome to the show, Gene. Well, thank you. So, Gene, can we start with a little bit of your athletic and uh, running background and if you can share some anecdotes as well as to how you got into running and what prompted you and what motivated you? Okay. Running uh, running has always been a part of my life, but it was uh, not anywhere close to my major sport for uh, most of it. Uh, I grew up uh, golfing and bowling and... Uh, and uh, that's what I concentrated on uh, most of the time. Uh, of course, since I ran as a little kid, even way before running was a thing. I mean, I, I, I tell you, when I went out running, people would stare and, and dogs would go go crazy because it was just totally unknown to see somebody running in the neighborhood. But uh, so I, I ran track in high school and college and in high school, I thought I was pretty good, and in college, I discovered I wasn't very good. So when you've discovered you're not good at something, that's not something that you concentrate on. And sure, indeed, so when I was an adult, I, I just jogged for fun, never occurred to me to race, and uh, concentrated on things I was good at, which was golf and bowling. But I did have goals that I had set for myself when I was a kid. I don't know, I don't know why I just sat down and said, this is what I'm going to accomplish. And uh, in golf, I wanted, of course, to get a hole in one. And in bowling, I wanted to get a 300 game. And in running, I wanted to do a marathon. Well, uh, I did get a hole in one three years ago, and that was uh, the, Excellent. the that was the final one. Uh, I'd say, the bowling one was the hardest. Uh, getting a 300 game requires a lot of luck as well as uh, being on top of your game. But running a marathon, uh, yeah, I did that. And of course, just like everybody else, thought that would be my last marathon since I'd already accomplished what I had set in my life. But I've done 127 since then. So, uh, <laughs> so little. Little did I know. I mean, it just goes to you should never say never. Never say you're never going to do something because, uh, you know, maybe that'll guarantee that you're you're going to do it. So, as I said, that I uh, I just kind of jogged for the fun of it. 
And then, oh, you know, in my late 50s, I uh, I say that I fell in with a bad crowd. You know, I, these guys, <laughs> these guys just talked about running. They talked about racing. And so I said, well, I used to I used to run. Maybe I could do a race and and have some fun. So and I did. I ran uh, a couple races with these guys. And I suppose for some reason it just clicked. And I said, well, my golf game is terrible. You know, I, I kind of gave up bowling. Maybe I should pick up running. And ever since those first races, I kind of vowed that every year I would try and and go faster on roads and longer on trails. And and this is sort of a theme of mine. If you just each year try and do a little more than the year before, it's amazing where you can be in a few years. Uh, I mean, I'm easily doing things that I would have just just totally thought were insane, you know, just a few years earlier. So you started, you did your first marathon at the age of uh, 58. Uh, and uh, how did you progress uh, from there? I mean, you were doing a few marathons every year after that, or were you also doing higher distances as well? Like, you know, ultras also you started doing immediately afterwards? No, uh, I'd say, you know, the first two or three years, I would do two, maybe three marathons a year. Uh, and I was slowly getting better. My first marathon was three, 343 at uh, New York, which immediately meant that my next marathon would be the Boston Marathon because that was a qualifier. My friends were all going, so, you know, so I had to do that. And... For seven years, my PRs were coming down slowly. Uh, I, on a nice, fast downhill marathon, I ran 316, and wow. thought for sure that would I would never, never beat that. I mean, it was a fast course. I was getting older. You know, I ran as just I ran all out. I didn't think I could, I could ever beat that. But of course, I kept trying. And the next year at the Toronto Marathon, I said, okay. I'm in great shape. I'm going to beat that. And uh, in fact, I went the other way. You know, I ran 3:29, and I was very disappointed. And that's what caused me to hire a coach. And uh, coaching is really, you know, it makes makes all the difference. We'll, we'll get into that. So, uh, how many years did it t take you? Like you ran uh, for how many years? Uh, did it take you from three forty-three in New York to three sixteen in uh, in uh, when you ran the three? That was uh, six or seven years. Okay, I started okay. running ultras maybe I don't know three years after my first marathon, and I uh, I ran a fifty k and swore I would never do that again. <laughs> yeah, that always happens. Uh, but that time, it really I really did have no intention of running another ultra until a friend of mine said, hey, let's go run Comrades. You know, that's the famous South African race. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. uh, it was something that for some reason I heard about that race when I was a little kid and had never thought about it since. But as soon as he said, let's go run Comrades, it all came back to me. And, you know, I pictured running through, you know, jungles and mountains. Of course, it isn't that kind of a race. But uh uh, it just really grabbed my uh, imagination. So, so I did go and run that, and 
ever since then, yeah, I've run more and more ultras uh, every year. Okay. And initially, before you hired a coach, what sort of uh, training were you following? I mean, were you following a particular method like Macmillan's or Jack Daniels or Hanson's or whatever, or you were just running with your running club? How did you go about it? Well, it's, I guess you could call it the LSM method, long, slow miles. I, I okay. uh, you know, I would sometimes work out on the track and sometimes with friends, but basically I just went out and ran a lot. And, uh, but training like that can only get you so far. I really think that I had probably reached the limit of my speed without, without a, a good training method. Uh, I kind of resisted using programs or getting a coach. I, you know, being naive, I said, well, everybody knows how to run, you know, why, why pay somebody to, to, to tell you. So, so it was kind of a, a desperation after Toronto. I said, I'm getting older now. And if I'm going to find out how good I am, I guess I'll, I'll just try a coach for five months and see what happens. Okay. And uh, do you remember during that phase before you hired a coach, uh, how many days a week you were running and what sort of weekly mileage you were doing? Roughly, well, I probably ran three or four times a week because I thought old people needed to rest more between runs. If my, for instance, I thought running on sore legs would, you know, maybe get me injured. So if my legs were sore, you know, I didn't run. I waited until they felt good and then I'd go run again. And, uh, and that was one of the things my coach changed. Uh, I, I was always running tired, you know. I could barely get down the stairs in the morning. Uh, I was, my legs were so sore. But if the coach says do it, I was sure going to go out there and uh, do my best to do it. Uh, so, uh, so how did, I mean, how did the coach establish that? And especially considering that at, at that time you were a, you know, older athlete that you will not get injured. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm very intrigued by that. Like, uh, you know, one of the signals is, Always, as people say, is body soreness you shouldn't ignore or things like that, right? So, how did you crank up the volume and at the same time broadly remain injury free? Well, I think uh, you shouldn't ignore injuries, but just being sore is is a sign that you're, you know, you you've stressed your muscles. You're getting stronger, and <clears throat> nothing wrong with going out there and running on tired legs. Uh, <clears throat> I'm guessing maybe it's even uh, necessary to progress if you just, I guess just running on fresh legs just doesn't seem to be as good as running on tired legs. Uh, you can, uh, you're really forcing them to, to work harder that way. Okay. And, and what are the, some of the important changes? Uh, the, you know, I know you speak very highly uh, of uh, having a personal coach and certainly it uh, has, worked for you. So what are some of the important changes uh, other than, you know, making you run on tired legs, which I assume would also mean that you obviously increase the number of days you are running and your mileage. What are some of the changes uh, that the coach made you adapt to? Okay, you're right. Uh, instead of three or four days a week, I was running five or six days a week. Uh, and, and he introduced you know, the typical structure that most people, I think, have with their training, where you do a couple recovery runs, a couple more uh, speedy runs than that, 
oh, a hard tempo type workout and a, and a long run. But uh, I also discovered during this that uh, all my workouts, I always made sure that I would increase the speed during the workout. I don't think he told me that. It was something I discovered on my own. But if I went out and ran 10 miles, the 10th mile would be the fastest one. If it was 17 miles, you know, I'd run every mile faster than the previous one. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's really a, an important and a part of my training. I think at least for sure, subconsciously, you know that you've got something in reserve uh, toward the end of a race uh, when you do that. So uh, structured workouts, uh, doing the right pacing, more of them. And my coach, you could say, well, why is your coach so special? Uh, but he really makes it interesting. It's you, if you get some of those online coaching things, it's like the same Monday you do this, Tuesday you do that, Wednesday. And it's the same week after week after week, just increasing mileage or, or pace. But he just totally mixes it up. Every week is different, and uh, so I'm <clears throat> never getting in a in a rut that way. Okay. Totally personalized. He, I, I, I'll tell him, "Hey, coach, I'm going to run a hundred miler next month." You know, and you, how is how is a, a normal training method going to account for that? But he would take my race schedule and build a a training thing around it. It was amazing how he knows better than I do. You know what I'm capable of. And and the mileage and the number of days went up to what level once the coach got involved? Well, it went down to some level. Uh, okay. Training for marathons, I used to you know run 70, 80, 90 miles per week. Uh, <clears throat> almost all my training uh, weeks are about 45 miles. Uh, yeah, during peak training, I'll get up into 60 a, a few times, but... Uh, my bread and butter week is only 45 miles, but, uh, you know, every mile means something as opposed to the meaningless miles that I was running before. So even when you, I mean, except when you are training for an ultra, the mileage is around 45 miles or so per week. Is yeah. that what you're saying? And okay. even, even, well, even training for an ultra, because I don't train for them. Um, I only train for marathons. We kind of have this tacit agreement that, he always trains me as if there's a marathon coming up and we consider ultras as base base training, you know, where I build up the base and you know how most marathon training sessions are you know, 12 to 16 weeks. Well, I only train for a marathon for say six weeks because I'm not trying to improve my distance capability. I already have that. I'm only working on getting my speed back and, uh, so I say I don't train for ultras, but uh, you could say that doing ultras is training for the next ultra. So, but uh, I don't know. I would probably be much better at ultras if I trained for them. Uh, uh, oh, that's incredible to hear. Yeah. Okay. And you are also quite famous for doing multiple races through the year, including, you know, many 50Ks, 50 milers, 100 milers, 200 milers. And you, you know, often race like you, you have, you know, marathons and ultra marathons back to back weekends. So how do you make sure and, uh, you know, that your body is adapting to this sort of a demand? 
especially when you kind of uh, you know uh, position it along with uh, something like 45 to 50 week weekly mileage mm-hmm. yeah that, my week yeah the weekly mileage is about 45 except when i do say a 100 mile race then my weekly sure. mileage is 100 miles and yeah, if it's a 200 course. miles it's 200 miles but uh, i guess I never had any, uh, any any plan, but it's just a matter of you know approaching things gradually. Uh, I always just signed up for whatever race I, I felt like it. You know, you've you've gone on the internet and you see people saying, "Oh, am I ready to run a 50k?" If you want to run a 50k, you're ready to run a 50k. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Maybe you don't finish, but you you know you go out and try again. But it never occurred to me not to try these crazy things. Uh, um, just one one year, I'd say, gee, I wonder if I could run back-to-back marathons on Saturday and Sunday. And and so instead of signing up for one of those, I signed up for four of them in, in a two-month period. And okay. uh, it just, you know, I didn't care if it was a good idea or not. I just, it was, sounded like a fun thing to do. So I went out and found four places where I could do a marathon uh, on each day. And amazingly enough, uh, I usually ran the Sunday race faster than the Saturday race. And you wow. know, I was I was trying to win my age group in all these, so uh, it wasn't like I just jogged them. Um, uh, you know, that said, I think the one thing activity in running that got me ready for doing crazy things like this is doing a stage race. That okay. really preps your body to run day after day. Uh, I signed up for my first stage race. It was 120 miles in a week. I'd never run more than you know 80 miles in a week. But, of course, I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll give it a try. And it turns out that you run day after day. And by the end of the week, you know, you're running stronger than you were at the beginning of the week. It, it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful thing. And once you know that you can do that, then that that opens the gates. You can you can go from running 20 miles a day to running uh, 50 miles in one day. And if you can do 50, you can do 100. If you can do 100, you can do 200. Uh, yeah. So, just, so these uh, stage races are typically uh, roughly equal mileage uh, miles every day. Like say 120 miles over seven days means roughly 17 miles a day. Is that mm-hmm. the way it works, or it varies from day to day? It's roughly, uh, as you say, they're roughly equal, but uh, yeah, it can vary. One one day might be twice as long as, as another. Uh, I've done several of these, one in the Rocky Mountains of uh, the U.S., the Alps in Europe. Uh, I've done them in uh, Scotland. It was a nice eight-day stage race. Uh, they're all uh, they're all amazing experiences. You You, you start you know, everybody starts together on a day and, and you, you all run to the same finish line. And then you know, there's the this camaraderie of seeing everybody, you know, at the start and finish every uh, every day. It's a it's a really a wonderful way to to uh, learn to run very, long. Very exciting. And are these supported races uh, or you have to carry your gear and everything? Uh, yes. Well, there, there are the two kinds There's supported ones where your gear ends up magically at the, at the finish <laughs> line. And, it's always there, nice. and there's unsupported ones of various styles, but usually it means you have to carry uh, uh, your 
you know, your sleeping gear and all your clothing and all your food. And uh, maybe they'll supply a tent or not. Uh, I haven't done one of those. Uh, I always thought, well, that's just crazy. It, it, if you have to carry that much gear, you're, you're hiking and not running. And, and I want to run. But it's a challenge. Uh, so I've been thinking about doing one next year uh, in Iceland. And uh, so maybe. I'll have to go out and buy all new equipment because, you know, every ounce matters. You know, right now I have really good stuff, but, you know, it'd be too heavy if I have to carry a, a lot of gear. So I'll have to sure. see whether I can afford to buy all the new gear it would take to run something like that. All the fancy, extremely lightweight, uh, lightweight stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And between the marathon and the ultra distances, especially when it comes to, let's say, the 100 milers and the 200 milers, what are the key challenges that you see differently in the longer distances? A, uh, well, in the shorter distances, you know, the key, it, it all comes down to your training. Uh, I think some people have the idea that when somebody runs a new record that they dug down deep and you know, did more than, than was possible. But uh, it just isn't the way it is. You can only run what you're trained to do. And... Uh, it turns out that training is harder than the actual race itself. I have sure. Just, uh, whereas it, when you're running a race, ideally you arrive at the finish line right at the limit of what you're capable of, and uh, and you shouldn't be able to go another step. But until that, you're running within your within your ability, and it's a it's a wonderful thing that to run faster, and each one is easier. My uh, my fastest marathon ever was, I think, just about my easiest marathon ever. It's uh, it's an amazing thing. Okay. In in distances, though, uh, boy, when I do a marathon, I know I'm going to finish, and I know what time I'm going to run. Uh, that you have no idea how fast you're going to run uh, a long run. Sometimes so many things can go wrong. Uh, sure. You know, you've got to keep your your nutrition right and your hydration and not get lost. And uh, the weather makes a huge difference. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a great unknown every time you go out to a race because you never know what's going to happen. Plus, sleep would also be a factor, right? Once it gets to 100 miles and uh, and certainly in a 200 miler, I'm assuming it mm-hmm. sleep is how you manage your sleep is a big factor, right? Uh, right for the, at least for 200s, I suppose some people complain that they get sleepy during a 100, but I've never, never had a moment's drowsiness during a 100 mile race. Cause those only last, I don't know, 24 to, you know, 30 hours or so. Uh, I did do one 120 mile race where I ran 48 straight hours and, uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty wiped out at the end because that was without a break. You know, I had to keep going. Um, but 200s, yeah, you have to sleep and that's becomes a, you know, a part of the strategy. When do you sleep? How long do you sleep? And, uh, I've gotten better at that. Uh, at first I tried to plan it and that's, that's kind of a mistake. You just can't know when you're going to need to sleep. So, uh, I'll go out and and you'll know when you need it because all of a sudden your vision starts disappearing and your your legs start. It's it's really really a terrible. It's much even worse than hitting the wall. 
I mean, it's sort of like hitting the wall mentally in, in addition to hitting the wall physically. It's just, uh, but amazingly enough, no matter that you've been running 36 hours with no sleep, you take an hour and a half nap and that's good for the rest of the night and uh, most of the day. Running in the day usually isn't a problem because sure. you know, your biorhythms, no matter how tired you are, your biorhythms keep you awake. But when you get sleep deprived at night, it's, it, it's a terrible thing. You have to use caffeine to make it to the next aid station, take your nap, and, and then you're, you're, you're good to go. But, oh, I guess I get average maybe three hours of sleep a night during a race like that. For four, that's uh, five days and four nights. Okay. Uh, and if what's the advice you would give somebody who's like regularly running marathons uh, when they want to get into ultra and longer uh, longer distances? I mean, one point you touched upon, which is probably start with a stage race. Are there anything else that comes to mind? Well, one thing is just, just hit that enter button. If you can run marathons, uh, if you can run marathons competitively, uh, uh, then you can easily do an ultra non-competitively. I think if anybody's struggling to do a marathon, yeah, they're going to have trouble. They're going to have to train and build up their mileage. But, you know, if you run marathons, you know, giving it your all and, and knowing that uh, if you ran slower, you could run further. Yeah, sign up for that 50K and then sign up for a 50 miler, sign up for a 100 miler. You'd, you'd be surprised. Uh, you can always do way more than you think and you shouldn't think twice about it just just do it okay and uh, in terms of uh, in terms of other uh, you know uh, other things like strength training you are you know quite famous uh, you know i have listened to you know some other interviews of yours where you talk about the fact that you don't do any of that like uh, i mean or at least not in a very structured way things like strength training or flexibility training i mean and what's the uh, what's the logic behind that well, the logic uh, behind it is you, you have to find out what works for you. There's a lot of things called conventional wisdom out there. And sure. people take them as the Bible. You, you, know, uh, you have to stretch. So, uh, so you know, I, I listened to that. I said, oh, I have to stretch. Okay, so I started stretching. I started getting injured. And <laughs> it turns out that for me, some bodies just aren't meant to be stretched. And a little bit, there's also this mental attitude. Well, I'm competitive, right? So if I start stretching, you know, I'm going to start trying to stretch, you know, better and harder than I did the other day before. And, uh, yeah, which works until you get injured. So uh, I, I, I know I know me mentally and physically, and I only stretch. I don't think I have more injuries than or than, than other people. But, you know, if I do, maybe stretching is one of the ways to help fix it. And, uh, and, and I do that. But in general, if you just run out and do your first mile of your workout slow, that's all the warm up you need. Uh, that's much better way to warm up than stretching on, on cold muscles, for instance. Uh, I don't stretch afterwards. You know, I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather go out and eat. That's another interesting thing. Maybe some of your uh, listeners would be interested in is that I think most people eat too much before and during a run. Uh, you know, I train hard up to 20 some miles in a day and I don't eat breakfast beforehand and I don't eat anything during the race either. Uh, 
if you find that you can't make it 20 miles without eating something, then that's all the more reason you need to train yourself to do that. And best way to train is don't eat before you run, don't eat during a run. And your body, your body adapts. And if it's not getting not getting calories through your stomach, it's going to store more glycogen. It's going to burn fat more efficiently. And so then when you do a, a marathon and you're taking in nutrition in addition to all that glycogen and fat burning, then your performance go up even even more. But if you rely on food in your stomach, you're not going to build up that extra that extra uh, energy that you'll need to to excel. So so just to get this straight, a lot of your training workouts or um, most of your training workouts you just depend on hydration and you are not taking any solid food either um, before yeah. the training run or during the run. Yeah, I uh, never eat before a run. Never eat during a run. And and during the run. Okay, got it. And that makes your body adapt more and then on the day of the race, when you have additional resources, uh, obviously you can, you know, you can do much better. That's mm -hmm. okay. That's that's uh, yeah. That's uh, that's very very interesting. And uh, you know, I have quite a few listener questions. So many of them we have uh, uh, gone through. One of them is uh, related to other than running. Uh, what are some of your favorite recreational uh, methods? Okay. Well, I've already mentioned that uh, you know. Uh, golf. My golf has become pretty terrible since I took up running, but I was injured this year, so I spent a little more time golfing, and uh, it's getting a little better, but never be uh, as good as I used to be. Uh, my typical day, though, is I'll go out and uh, and do some gardening. My my garden is almost weed free for the for the first time in in, in many years. Uh, and since I'm retired and my wife works, I do all the cooking and the shopping. You know, this uh, keeps me busy. But uh, I, sh I should I should cross train, I suppose. But that's another one of those things that I just don't do because if I try and cross train, I say I'd rather be running. Yeah. So 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 I so I don't. Okay. So what are some of your favorite uh, recovery methods uh, uh, in terms of, I mean, do you take an ice ice bath or something, or do you have any any methods after a hard workout? Nope, nothing special. I just come back, eat. Remember, remember I said I don't eat during a run, so I really look forward to breakfast when I get back, you know. it's uh, And that's also a good way to kind of keep your, your weight under control, because I go out and run in the morning, and so when I finally eat breakfast, it's pretty close to lunchtime. And then all you need is a healthy snack in the afternoon to make it to dinner. So essentially, when I'm in training, I'm only getting two meals a day. And uh, that can help you lose weight. Okay. Okay. And uh, tell us uh, about uh, some of your favorite uh, races. Oh, boy. So many, so many, so many good races. Um, there's one race. I, I, I mostly have been there, done that. I'm always looking for someplace new to run. And so I don't do many races twice unless unless that's where the competition is. And I have to do it uh, multiple times. But there's one race that I do year after year after year and always look forward to doing it again because it's just it's you're out there running on this course. and You say this is what running is, you know, is all about. It's called the Cayuga Trails 50. It's a 50-mile trail race, and it goes through a bunch of river gorges, and you're running by waterfalls and pools, and then through uh, deep woods, and some cross country. It's just 
just uh, just a real a real treat. Which but, state is it in uh, in the U.S.? Excuse me. Which state is it in? Oh, it, New, York. New York, upstate New York. It's about um, four hours drive from New York City. Okay. Uh, uh, the when I get to longer ones, well, the Bigfoot Two Hundred is is something really special. That's in Washington State, and it starts out running around the Mount St. Helens volcano. You know, it it erupted, oh, I don't know, forty years ago now, and everything is still dead around it. You know, of course, there's a few shrubs, but it used to be deep forest. There's just nothing there now. Everything was either buried or incinerated. And uh, the heat was so intense that all the, you know, the pine cones, which we rely on forest fires to, no, too hot for that, just incinerated everything. And uh, it's really amazing running through that. And then the second half, after you get out of that blast zone, you're running in the deep, deep forest and up and down these uh, very big mountains in the North Cascades. Uh, just a, a really, really terrific race. There's something about running for four, you know, four days, four or five days, just doing the same thing that gets deep, deep into your subconscious. And I find myself just walking around and then all of a sudden, you know, I'll have a flashback to to one of the races that I've done, just just comes unbidden out of nowhere. And it's always a, a good thing, you know, to, to see those flashbacks. And it's totally different than, oh, I remember things in the Boston Marathon and New York Marathon, I remember these things, but they're not things that come unbidden and uh, just out of nowhere. Okay, so this is a 200 miler, right? That's what you mm -hmm. said. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And what's, uh, what's your most uh, memorable running moment? Ah, uh, okay. Well, you would think, you know, with some of the records I've done and, you know, fast marathons that would be something like that. But no, my most memorable moment was in a cross-country race. It was only about a month after I hired my coach. So I was, you know, starting to get better, but still I was just an ordinary runner. But it was a cross-country race. I think I finished third in my age group. So, you know, nothing special there. But But during the race... I got a chance to sort of live the dream. You know how when you go out and run, you you dream about uh, running neck and neck with somebody, you know, to the finish sure. line. And I was out there. I was, oh, I had about a mile and a half to go. And yeah, when you're running a hard race, you start hearing the, the whispering in your, oh, you've run you've run hard enough. You can start easing up. It doesn't make any difference. You know, so, and then somebody passed me, somebody in my age group, you know, we had the age numbers on our backs. It was a national championship race. And, and just all of a sudden I went from, Oh no, I'm tired. And this guy passed me. And then I resolved, I am not going to let this guy beat me. So I, I tailed him for a little bit. And then with about a mile to go, you know, I picked up the pace. Okay, I'm already already running sort of a faster pace toward the end of a race than I've ever done before. And I knew he was right right with me. And so I picked up the pace some more. And then a little bit, I picked it up even more. And I went through so many levels of pain. You know, it was the kind of mental thing that I didn't know until then whether or not I could do that. And when I, I beat that guy by a few steps uh, at the end of the race, 
Congratulations. Ever since then, I have known that that uh, uh, if if push comes to shove, I have what it takes to get everything I've got out of me instead of giving into the tiredness. And uh, that's sort of like my internal proudest moment. Yeah. I'm trying to connect that also to the fact that you said in training, you try to go, you know, run every uh, every repeat or every mile faster. So probably yeah. you are training yourself uh, to run faster and dig deep uh, even in your training run. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, that may be one of the reasons. Uh, uh, so, so the related question is, do you do any visualization or mental conditioning exercises uh, at all? Uh, oh, pretty much just the usual daydreams you have when you're out there running, looking forward to a race, thinking about a past race. You know, a lot of finish line daydreaming. You know, it's uh, if you're out and you have three miles to go, all you have to do is think about running that last 0.2 miles of a marathon and all of a sudden your pace will pick up because uh, no matter how tired you are, I think everybody runs that last 0.2 faster than the, the previous mile. So, uh, uh, yeah, that's, uh, but I don't, I guess I don't, you know, it, it's funny. I, when I told you I wanted to bowl a 300 game, I don't think I could have done it without mental training. I, uh, I visualized it over and over and over again. Every every throw, I would I would uh, go through the motions in my head, and and I wouldn't go to sleep until I'd rolled three three hundred games in my head, and uh, you know that got kind of boring after a while. But uh, I think I think that helped, and uh, it probably would be uh, something maybe I I could incorporate into my running. But I think I do enough of the real thing that uh, it hasn't occurred to me to try that. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, I, we know that you are a very prolific runner. You run, uh, you know, dozens of races in a year. And unfortunately, 2020, there has been, you know, too many cancellations. So how are you managing uh, managing your running and also the running motivation now? Okay. Uh, well, I was on my usual schedule through March. I'd already done, uh, you know, a marathon and a, and a hundred miler and, you know, I had, I had really big goals for this year. And then the races started getting canceled. And I did a 100-mile virtual race followed by a 5K virtual race. And somewhere along that line, I injured my foot. So with every race that's been canceled, I've almost kind of breathed a sigh of relief that I couldn't run it anyway. So I am not depressed at all about these because I couldn't run them anyway. And... Uh, you know, I'm never depressed about things I have no control over. And uh, if the races are canceled, I, you know, I've got no control over it. So nah, that doesn't, it, it just doesn't bother me. But what I do is I sign up for another race next year. <laughs> and uh, so my schedule next year is really, really crowded with races because every time a race gets canceled, I sign up for one or two. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, really, uh, to all your listeners out there, if you don't have a race right now that you're looking forward to, get out your calendar, look out in the future and say, what can I be ready for uh, and sign up for it? Because looking forward to a race is almost as much fun as doing it. And if you don't sign up for a race until the week before, you've lost all that enjoyment. Always have something you're looking forward to. 
And oh, absolutely. I'm yeah. completely with you on, on that point. Uh, in, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, in India, they haven't started opening up uh, too many yeah. races for registration as yet because the calendar is so uncertain. Uh, but I'm sure that uh, there are, you know, hundreds of us who will sign up as soon as mm. uh, things start coming up, even if it is like six months and a year down the line. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know how it will be there, but I'm guessing that trail races open up before road races do. So that's why uh, uh, I've signed up for a whole bunch of trail races for next year, assuming that uh, road races won't uh, be nearly as, as common. So can you share some specific goals now for, um, let's say, uh, later in 2020 or more realistically, probably 2021? Uh, there's, uh, are, are you going to officially attempt to break uh, Ed Whitlock's uh, record on the on the marathon? You no, know, it's going to it's going to be tough. I might be ready by next fall, but I get faster by racing. And what that means is that even if I trained hard, I just wouldn't be as fast as I'd need to be without running. When I when I uh, beat Ed's record at uh, in Florida a couple of years ago, year and a half ago, uh, that was my 40th race of the year. I ran, yeah. I, I raced hard every weekend, and I just I just kept getting better. And without that, I don't know. There's something about racing that really, really, really helps me. And I need okay. that big base building too. So my plan is to run a whole bunch of ultras through through August and then try and be ready for a marathon in October. I won't know until much later whether or not uh, I'll be in shape to do that. You know, I'll have to see how things go in races. If a lot of races are canceled next year, I'd say no, there's, there's no chance, which is too bad because, you know, Ed, you know, ran his uh, official world record when he was 73 and I'll be 73 next year. So I thought it would be really cool to, to break the record officially in Toronto where he did it at the same age that he was. But I, don't know, I might have to wait until uh, 74 or 75. I'm sure 75 will be another big year, you know, getting that new age group. And so, uh, but I'll have a lot of fun till then, no matter what. Uh, I, I really wish you the very, very best, and I hope you get your tune-up or prep races, uh, you know, fr as soon as possible, so that uh, we can all follow you then, as you make the attempt. Hopefully, next uh, next uh, next fall. Mm -hmm. Okay. Another word of advice. Uh, remember, I mentioned that I'm 73. Well, that means I'm retired. I've got time to do all this stuff. Certainly, your listener, most listeners, aren't going to be able to go out and sign up for for 40 races. But the important thing to know is that you don't have to do all your running now. I mean, you may, there's some truth to the matter that you only have so many good running years. And do you want to try and break down your body when your competition is Olympic caliber, when you've got family and job to attend to? Uh, just stay in shape and you don't have to worry. You can have amazing adventures when you get older. And it's not like you have to do it now. And uh, that's the message I like to get a lot of people. If you want to run like I do at this age, you know, don't run hard now. Wait until you're <laughs> closer to my age. Yeah. In fact, I remember you in one of your interviews saying that uh, uh, you read somewhere that you have 15 years of good running in you. So wisely use those uh, 15 years, right? 
Yeah, my 15th year is coming up. I hope <laughs> I hope I was wrong. Well, Ed Whitlock ran great for years and years and years. So uh, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, you know it's it, it's possible. Okay. So moving on to the 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 last segment, so to speak, I do a quiz with my guests. Uh, you know, set of five questions. So if you are well, ready, it's, been, it's been nice talking to you. <laughs> 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 so it's a set of uh, you know five questions so if, if you are game then we should uh, go with it all right before moving on i wanted to request uh, all the listeners to please leave a rating and review on apple podcasts or itunes it will only take you a couple of minutes but it will help the show enormously and help other listeners to discover the show so please do take a couple of moments to go and leave a rating and review on either Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you are using another app which allows you to leave a comment or a rating or review, like for example, CastBox, please do that either. We also request you to please check out the website runfitraj.com. And also if you have any comments or suggestions, to please write to me directly at runningandfitnesswithraj at gmail.com. You can follow all podcast-related updates on Instagram at the handle Running and Fitness with Raj or on Facebook on the Facebook group Running and Fitness with Raj. Now let's get back to the show. First question is, there is a vitamin which you can get only exclusively, almost exclusively, uh, from animal sources like fish, meat, eggs. Uh, which vitamin is this? Well, this ought to be easy for me because I'm... I'm a biochemist. I have a, a PhD in biochemistry and, uh, you know, I studied all this stuff, but, uh, you know, I almost have to go through it by process of elimination. You know, I know it isn't vitamin C. Yeah. I pretty sure it's a B vitamin, but there's so many numbers, you know, there's one, two, four, six, eight, five, 12. I don't, it, it's, it's one of those. Okay. It's B12 actually. B12. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I can count that high. <laughs> uh, the the Tokyo Olympics torch has been inspired by a flower. Do you know which flower? Boy, it's amazing how you, you touch on some of my past experiences. Um, uh, I lived in Japan for a couple of years and okay. uh, uh, wonderful, wonderful place. Um, and I'm trying to remember, you know, what, what flowers do I remember in Japan? There are two, two flowers that always pop up in Japanese culture. Uh, one is, uh, you know, of course, cherry blossoms, and the other is chrysanthemum. But uh, the chrysanthemum is the symbol of death, I think. So I don't think they would have picked that. So I'll have to go with cherry blossoms. Okay. that It is cherry blossom. Well done, actually. Okay. Uh, and uh, third question is, uh, which famous American ultra marathoner holds the world record for the fastest 100-mile road race, man or woman? Oh boy! Now, now you've hit one of my solid weaknesses, which is I wouldn't be able to remember my best friend's name under in a, in a quiz. Um, uh, you know, names spring to mind. Uh, I know it isn't Courtney Dowalter. I ran with her in in one of my two hundred mile races. Of course, she beat me by sixty hours, but. Uh, <laughs> I know she's done a good one. Um, 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 uh, oh, let's see. Oh, there, there are tricks you can do. Is you associate a name with something, and 
Uh, one of the strongest hurricanes to ever hit the U.S. was it was Hurricane Camille. So, oh, so that's how I remember remember that name. Is it is it Camille? Camille Heron? Yeah. Camille Heron. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, okay. So when uh, when you finish a race, uh, which part of your body has to cross the finish line? This is especially important in let's say sprints, right? I mean, you see people leaning forward and things like that. Mm -hmm. But officially, which part of your body has to cross the finish line? Oh, boy. Yeah, you see people trying to get their head across first. Um, yeah, it, it always seems to me like it's general knowledge, so like conventional wisdom that it's your chest. But I'm not sure. I, so, I mean, but... Maybe it's uh, whatever. I, it, it couldn't be your arm. I'm I'm going to guess that. But I'm I don't know. I'm I'm torn between any part of your head or torso. I guess. Yeah, it is the torso actually. Okay, so if you get your nose across, so you, no, you can't win. But you can't win by a nose. No, well, I mean well, you have to be a horse. You have to be a horse to do that. <laughs> That's <Okay>. true. <laughs> and the last one is uh, "Run or Die" is a book by which famous athlete? Uh, run or die. Run or die. Oh, is that, is that eat, run or die? No, it's just run or run die. Run or die. Because ah, my first, first thought was Scott Jurek. But I think that was that was that had something to do with eating. Um, hmm. Hmm. No, I think I'll have to. Have to pass on that one. This is Killian Johnny. Oh yeah, uh, right, right. That's one of those names I can I can never remember. <laughs> what an amazing runner! Uh, I just That's absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah, incredible. So we are done. Uh, so you 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 know you got most of it. So before we let you go, Gene, uh, can you give some recommendations on some of your favorite books or website or YouTube channels, podcasts, any materials that the listeners can uh, use? Well, my wife says I spend way too much time on Facebook, <laughs> and, and that's probably right. Um, that's kind of where my running community is, and uh, there's a lot out there. And, of course, you know, some some is good and some isn't, but uh, I learn about races there, uh, uh, learn about the people. I would guess uh, I've got maybe eight or nine books upstairs that people have recommended to me, but uh, I don't know. I just never get around to reading them. Um, so I'll just have to go with uh, Dr. Google, ref. <laughs> okay, got it. Okay, fine. And uh, what's the best way uh, to get in touch with you if any of the listeners want to send you a message or something like that? Well, the best, easiest way is through Facebook. Uh, okay. You know, make sure they know how to spell my name, G-E-N-E. D-Y-K-E-S, and, you know, there's just no way that you can't find me on Facebook. Send me a message. Uh, you know, a lot of people send me friend requests, and then, I'll, of course, I always kind of go to their timeline and see, and sometimes it's not at all obvious why we should be friends, and so I, I delete <laughs> those. So make sure you know that if they send me a friend request, they either send me a message, too, or just make sure that their timeline shows that they're avid runners. Otherwise, you know, they might they might get ignored. 
Okay, got it. Okay, that's a useful. That's a useful point. So, uh, thanks a lot, Gene. I think this was uh, really, really pleasurable and a great interview. And uh, thanks for all the inspiration you are providing to all of us around the world. Wait, wait, uh, wait! I don't get to talk about running for two more hours. <laughs> <laughs> We can. I'm ready. There is no issue at all. Uh, so, uh, so thanks a lot for thanks a lot for your time and uh, wish you the very, very best. All right. Thank you. It's been a, a great pleasure. Oh, uh, and those friends who write to me on Facebook, uh, they need to tell me about incredible races in their part of the world uh, because sure. uh, I'm always on the lookout for a good race. Uh, I haven't been to India yet, for instance. And uh, oh, please there was a really, that. really good race there. You know, that's that's all I'd need to uh, to get me to go. Oh, absolutely! We have some trails like the Kaveri Trail in the state of Karnataka, for example, which is mm -hmm. good. I'll send you. I will send you some details. Yeah, something that's uh, doesn't have to be competitive so much as just just a really awesome experience. You know, uh, really incredible scenery and just something special about it. Yeah, and we have one in the in in uh, Leh Ladakh, which is probably one of the highest races in the world. Uh, uh, which happens in September, uh, which is, uh, they have a marathon and a half marathon. Uh, that's, that's it. I think uh, 12 or 13,000 feet. Uh, it's, um, you need to probably go a week earlier mm -hmm. to acclimatize and all that. It's an, I mean, I haven't done it personally, but friends of mine have done it and it's an incredible race. Mm -hmm. It's probably the second or third highest altitude marathon in the world. All right. So, uh, so I will, I will send you some details. Okay, great. Thanks. Okay. So now, that, now that we know exactly how to get you into India. <laughs> well, you, you, you could pay my way too. <laughs> also, yeah. Absolutely. It'll be our pleasure. Yeah. Actually, uh, somebody uh, did invite me to do a race in the Azores. That's another race I should recommend to people. Uh, it might be, it's a place most a lot of people don't think of going to. It's right out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. But, uh, there's a whole series of trail races out there which are, are really well run and uh, people should look into them. Okay, excellent. I'll, I'll see if I can put some links in the show notes. Okay. Thank you, Gene. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much to all the listeners. Please check out the podcast website runfitraj.com that is r-u-n-f-i-t-r-a-j.com it has all the podcasts it has all the show notes and there is a very useful search function as well you can reach out to me on my social media handles which are running and fitness with Raj on both Instagram and Facebook and you can also email me on running and fitness with Raj at gmail.com please let me know if you have any questions or specific guests you would like to see on the show I also request you all again to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. We will continue to bring you exciting and interesting guests and give specific and actionable advice. Stay safe, stay healthy. Until the next show, goodbye.